you've got your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Peter chapter 3. There's a restaurant in Southern California, and they have a standing $1,000 challenge, and here's what it's about. The owner of the restaurant has set aside some money in an envelope, and every evening a chef will come out, and when I say chef, I'm talking about huge chef, uh, muscular, bench presses over 450 pounds, and he walks out with an envelope and a lemon. He takes the lemon, and he squeezes all of the juice out of it into a cup, and then he says, if anybody can get another drop out of this lemon, we'll give you the $1,000. Well, as you can imagine, some big guys, some strong football players, weightlifters, construction workers, lumberjacks, all over the years have come up, and they've given it their best shot to get that $1,000. And nobody has ever been able to get one more drop out of that squeezed lemon until three months ago. The chef comes out, he makes his usual challenge, and a scrawny guy in thick glasses in a simple gray suit walks up and says, I'd like to take the challenge. And the crowd kind of laughed, and the chef said, all right. Took the lemon, got his glass, squeezed it out, every drop into the cup, and and then he handed the lemon to the guy in the suit. The suit took the lemon and squeezed out not one, not two, but four drops from the lemon. And the crowd went nuts. Well, the chef got out the envelope, gave him his thousand dollars, said, now before I give this to you, I just need to know one thing. What do you do for a living? Are you, are you ex-Green Bray? Are you um, undercover CIA? Are you a cage fighter or what? He said, no, IRS. <laughs> Love that joke. And it's a great lead in to this true story. In 1986, an auditor in the IRS recognized that people had to be claiming more children on their tax returns than they actually had. And he figured that out because he was looking at the birth rates in America, and the two just did not coincide. And so he suspected there were some households reporting more children in it than they actually had given birth to. And so he made a recommendation to the Congress, and they passed it into a law that you now um, abide by if you happen to have children and you claim them as the deductions. You have to put their social security number along with it. And an amazing thing happened in 1987, just one year later, there were suddenly 7 million fewer children in America. That many people had lied on their tax returns. If you're visiting with us, we're in a series that I'm calling Enough Already. And I'm using that phrase because I really believe at this time in our country, the Spirit's nudging us to believe enough already. Enough already with the negativism. Because we have a living hope in a resurrected Savior. You just read it a few moments ago. So we don't have to live during a pandemic or any other time with a hopeless, anxious, negative outlook on life. Enough already with that. And enough already with discouragement. Particularly discouraging words. Words that belittle and degrade and make people look small. We saw last week that our words can bring life or they can bring death. They can be either helpful or they can be hurtful. So, Jesus gives us a mandate through the Spirit when he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which offers grace and builds up the hearer. Now, the world may use the pandemic as an excuse for their words of grossness. But we're using our words for verbal graciousness. That's what we've committed to over the last couple of weeks. Now, for today's message, 
in lieu of that, I'm committing to speak the truth that I'm about to speak this morning as graciously as I can. But I do want to say this. Enough already of the lies. Enough already of the fake news. Enough already of the counterfeit and the overhyped. Now, you may not like what Jesus has to say about the truth today, but he will speak, I hope, through me, the truth in love. Because that's what he's asked us to do. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he speaks that truth in love. And he's going to ask us as a church to do exactly the same. Because the truth sets people free. It really does. Let's pray about that. Father, as we dive in this morning, we want to lift up our voices along with uh, the Four Square Church that meets here. And ask that you allow them and us to experience your presence, your truth. Because we so much want to know, what, what's the way that you want us to live? And we're looking to you for that. We're trying. <laughs> Some days we don't do a great job of that. But, but today we're coming to you, submitting ourselves under your word to hear from you about the truth. And about how that needs to be a part of our lives. And God, I'm tired. <laughs> it was a full day yesterday. We, we sent James home in as, in as great a way as we possibly can. We're so thrilled that he gets to be with you today, and we long for the day that we can be there too. For we ask us in Jesus' name and everyone's said. Let me say it again. The truth can set you free. And that's regardless of the fact that in a recent survey, 65% of Americans believe it's okay to lie. 65% of Americans believe it's okay to lie. Hence the staggering number, 7 million people in 1986 who claimed on their tax return children they did not have. But you know what's fascinating about that study is the second fact that I pulled out of it. 65% of people say it's okay to lie, but 0% said it was okay to lie to them. Zero. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said to a very large crowd, ever so often you need to take the lid off of your heart and you need to look inside. Because the reason people murder people is because there's anger in that heart. And the reason people can commit adultery is because there's lust in that heart. And Jesus points to this text, or points us to this text, to make this one thing clear, that if I can clean out my heart, then I, I'll start cleaning up my behavior. The same is true for what comes out of my mouth. In Luke 6 and verse 45, he says, Out of the overflow of this heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. Now please note that. Because the words that come into a human's heart and take up residence there, let me say it again, those words that come into the human heart through those holes in our faces, the eyes, the ears, and they take up residence there, they will come out. And that's what makes it so challenging, I think, to live in America in some ways. Because Americans can say whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, and however they want. And that is actually protected by law in this country. We call that the freedom of speech. It's constitutional, and I think it's a great, great amendment. Well, social media has given us a platform to use that freedom of speech in a way that we have never had at our disposal. But I want to challenge you today with this thought. That may be all right for Americans, but it's not your right as a Christian. It's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, the scripture says, You are not your own if you're a Christian. You were bought with a price. Therefore, I'm asking you, 
the Spirit says, to glorify God with your bodies, every part of your body, especially your mouth. And so as a Christian, I can't say whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, however I want. Because Jesus Christ has given me some very specific boundaries for his speech that comes out of my mouth. He says this, you've heard it said you must not break your vows, that you must carry out your vows that you make to the Lord. But I'm saying to you, don't make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven's God's throne. Do not say by earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just simply say yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. Let that one soak from now, a little historical context about this. In Jesus' day, when people would make a vow or take an oath or, or promise to something, or make a swear, by, I swear by heaven, or I swear by earth, or I swear by the temple, or I swear by Jerusalem, it went something along these lines. I, I swear by Jerusalem. The chariot only has 500 miles on it. I, I, I swear by the temple that by Tuesday I'll get you your money back. Okay? So that's how that worked in their day, similar to ours. Now, before you judge any Jew who would make a statement like that, we grew up making some of those statements. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Um, I swear on my mother's grave, as God is my witness. We say all those things. We attach them to statements that we've made, hoping that someone who's hearing us will go, I really, really mean this. No, no, really, honestly. And Jesus is trying to say, you don't need all that. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or maybe this way. Just say what you mean. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. If you promise it, deliver it. If you're making statements about something that's true, make sure it's true. Don't hope it's true. Make sure it's true. And certainly don't say one thing when you actually mean something entirely different. Some of you heard of the dating site OkCupid. Like many of the dating sites that you get on, you're asked to fill out an information sheet and those who've... <laughs> managing the site, said that 40% of men who've used this dating site click on the button that describes them as a genius. Now, women, you know, we all claim to be geniuses, right? We're just not public and we don't write it down, and you know better. We're not. But it's amazing how much we exaggerate the way we think about ourselves and sometimes even the things we say about ourselves. Another study in England underscores this truth by saying... They did a study in prison of those housed there in England who were the most violent offenders, rapists, murderers, child molesters. And they asked them to rate themselves on a morality scale, comparing themselves to people who didn't have any criminal record outside. And nearly, get this, 50% of England's most violent offenders saw themselves as having a superior morality than those not inside the prison. Wow. The point is... We lie to ourselves all the time. We convince ourselves that we are or, or, or we're not, sometimes things better, sometimes worse. But self-deception, Jesus is saying, is a dangerous deception, but it's not the most dangerous. The most dangerous is that we lie to others. In 2009, a study was done by the American Public Medical Central Journal. It revealed that one-third of all medical research data was fraudulent. Danielle Fianelli the head of this study said researchers in the poll revealed that they feel pressure 
to get government funding so they can falsify the data. No, or so they falsify the data. She goes on to write, I had naively assumed that scientists would be principled enough because lives are at stake, but scientists are human beings, and they're driven by their interests and hopes and beliefs and funding. Given opportunities to cut corners by falsifying data, they may well. I thought that might be an important thing to point out in this race to get a vaccine for a virus. Church, before we get too far down the road towards all that, please be very, very careful when that time comes, okay? We've all been lied to. All lies not only destroy the credibility of the liar, but it also creates trust issues in the heart. Who can we trust? Who can we believe? Well, here in this room, we would say, God. We would say Jesus. We would say his word that he's given us. You can trust that. You can hang your hat on that. But Jesus is hoping that the world could say, well, Christians, Christians. I mean, when they tell you something, it's true. When they promise something, it can, it's going to be delivered as best as they can. Jesus says when you're, when you're asked something or when you're about to promote something or speak about something, just let your yes be yes and your no be. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Let me feel back to Sunday a little bit more, to a more practical layer, and at least a personal layer for me. Have you ever asked yourself, what's the motivation behind why we lie? What do we hope to gain? And I can answer that for myself. We lie to promote ourselves. That's why. We lie to promote ourselves. We look at this group over here, and, and we try to figure out, how is it that I can fit in with them? Or we look at this group over here, and wonder now, now, what is it that's going to, to cause them to like me and appreciate me? And from the very young age, we start putting on these masks or we start saying and doing things. We have these actions, whatever you want to call a mask. But it's this outer covering, something that we're really not, but something that we present to the public because we really want the public, whoever that public seems to be for the moment, to like us. After so many years of doing that, it becomes ingrained in our thinking and our behavior, and it just becomes exhausting. <laughs> it makes me smile sometimes at things that I have been um, untruthful about. Maybe they'll hit a nerve with you, and maybe you've done so too. The silliest things. Someone asks us if we've seen so-and-so movie or heard so-and-so song, and we say, yes, when we haven't seen the movie or we haven't heard the song. Why would we do that? Because we want to be cool. We want to be relevant. They've seen it. We want to be a part of them. Someone asks us, have you been to this part of the country, or do you know this particular person? And we don't. We haven't. And we say, yes. Because some way, somehow, we want to present a vision of ourselves that we want people to see that's greater than ourselves. In Ruidoso, every summer, we'd have over 7,000 visitors come. Two-thirds of our church on a Sunday like this would be visitors. Only a third of the church would be members. It was crazy. And you think, man, that, that's got to be cool, right? Well, it is pleasurable in a lot of ways, but it's a pain. It really is, especially for the preacher of a church like that, because invariably... Every Sunday, somebody at the back would, would greet me and say, Hey, we're the Pattersons. Do you remember me? And I'd know maybe the face, but I wouldn't necessarily know the name. And it would be so easy to say, Well, yes, yeah, so glad you're back. Glad you're back. Now, why would I do that? I mean, it's not really lying, but it is misrepresenting because I wanted to be perceived as having a memory much greater than I actually have. And I want to be liked. I want to be, I want to be held in high esteem. Oh, he remembered me. Peter says, that's not only wrong, it's not lying. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Peter says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from being deceitful, from deceitful speech. 
Let that one sink in for a minute. <laughs> because I know for sure everybody in this room wants to see good days and have a great life. I know you do. We're all in for that one. But, but we're not sure that's the key. I mean, making sure that my tongue says things that are good and uplifting and gracious and, and making sure that nothing comes from my mouth that's deceitful or shades the truth. Really? That's the key to good days and a great life. Peter says that's where we got to start. We start there. This picture on the screen is a guy by the name of Michael Guglielmucci. How about that word? Michael Guglielmucci. He's a songwriter who wrote a song called The Healer. He wrote it for a, a great Christian band called Hillsong. He convinced thousands of people in Australia that he was dying of cancer and that, his, that this particular song that he wrote, which was a huge hit, was birthed out of that experience. Here he is on the picture um, leading worship. What you can't see is the oxygen tank next to him. Now, you can see the canola that's around his nose, that little tube from which he was breathing from. Well, as it turns out, Michael wrote the song, but he didn't have the cancer. And when he was asked why he would tell people that he did, he said, well, I just felt like it needed to have a sad story to make the song more compelling. Now, before you judge Michael, let's be honest. Haven't in some ways all this done it? presented ourselves in ways that we really weren't because we wanted to either fit in or, or have people admire or appreciate us for more than we really were. Lying just isn't out there. Jesus is trying to say to us this morning, it's in here and it needs to go out. It needs to get out. He says this in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, what good would it be to get everything that you want have everybody appreciate you or like you that you want, get all the money that you want, have all the power, all the prestige that you want, but lose the real you. What could you ever trade your soul? He hopes he answers nothing. So let me pause right here and just say, you don't have to try to fake anything. You don't. You can't. <laughs> we just can't. He sees everything. He knows everything. So we don't have to live with him, at least, like we're faking it. Because he knows who we are. And he wants to, to give us the freedom to know that he knows, okay? And what I want to say on behalf of this church, you don't have to fake it here. You don't. Now, I know that you may feel there's the pressure to. Maybe, maybe some way, somehow, we've either let you down in some other ways or we've led you to believe. However, maybe from your own thoughts, maybe something. But I'm here to say this morning, you don't have to fake it here. You really don't. You get to be yourself here. You get to say, here's where I'm at. Will you help me get to where I need to be? How do I know? They let me preach here. From the first Sunday that I was here, I told you I was a ragamuffin. I did. Because I wanted you to know it's okay to be one in public. I, 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 the last couple of weeks especially have tried to, to put some things out here to let you know I mess up. I mean, yeah, I want people to think of me more highly than I actually am, that I know people and names and I connect them better. Than, well, I don't do that here. I did that back in Rudo, so, well, I don't do it here much. Oh, my goodness, because I just, I don't, I don't need the hassle of people perceiving that I know them that I, when I don't. I, I don't. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago something that I said to a secretary once, and I, I try not to say those things anymore, that, I, that I've done something that I really didn't get done because I could get it done in five minutes before she finds out. I just tell Vicki, I'm incompetent, I'm sorry, I didn't get it done. Greg might have pulled that off or whoever before, we, but I just didn't get that done. Because it just, it's just too heavy to carry around. This is a safe place to just be yourself. We'll love you right where you're at as much as we can, and we'll do our best to get you where God wants you to go. And I just want to say this, you would be shocked 
if I told you all the things that this eldership and this leadership have helped people work through because they can keep their mouth shut and be confidential. I'd be serious about saying, we love you right where you are, but we'll help you get to where God wants you. They really can't be trusted. Let's come back to the lemons for a moment. Jesus is trying to say, in as simple a way as I can say it this morning, is that what's on the inside is going to come eventually. It's part of what he promises is going to happen when judgment comes. Is every word that we've spoken is going to somehow be revealed. I don't know what that looks like, and it kind of makes me a little bit nervous. I'm trying to understand that. It could be that everybody's going to get to see everybody's stuff so that nobody feels like they were deserving of this great salvation. I don't know. I don't know how all that's going to work out, but I do know this, that what's inside is going to come out. And God's saying, something wonderful happens when you allow that to happen on purpose. That when I confess my sins to one another, there's healing there. It doesn't have to be put up on a billboard or spoken of the, to the entire church. But there's something powerful about getting honest. He already knows. He's just wanting us to get honest with ourselves about who we are and what we're not. And so, two words describe the stuff that's inside, truth or lies. If God were to squeeze your heart today, probably both would come out. But what are you hoping is the essence of what's inside? Truth or lies? Now, I want to do the best that I can. I said it in kind of a general way, but let me get a little bit more specific. It could be today that some of you need to be very, very specific about what's going on inside because it's not going to get better in there alone. Maybe you could say these words today. I'm tired. I'm hurt. I'm worried. I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm afraid. I'm stressed. Maybe even I'm addicted. If God squoze your heart, if that's a word, what would come out right now? I know why we struggle, to be honest, with what's in there. Because we're afraid that once it comes out, I've lost control. God says, would you let me take control of that too? So let me help all of us today make the admission that I think some of us all need to hear. Life's hard. <laughs> Life's a challenge. Being single is a challenge. Being married is a challenge. Being a parent is <laughs> a challenge. Going to a job every day that you really don't like is a challenge. I mean, the mundane, everything, this again, this again, and then trying to have to fake it till you make it or act like you like it, all that stuff gets hard. Trying to keep your eye gate pure in this world as a man, hard. You don't have to go looking for it, it's just thrown up on your screen every time you just turn the thing on. Trying to be truthful in this world is hard. There's so much fake everything going on. What's really the truth? But what's in the heart is going to make its way out. Can't help it. Before cell phones, a fourth grade boy wanted a watch for Christmas. But this is back in the old days when we actually wore those things. His grandfather had a Seiko that he really liked. And so he just told his mom, that's what I want for Christmas. But not just once. He told him a thousand times. Between November and Christmas, morning, noon, and night, I want to watch, I want to watch, I want to watch, I want to watch, I want to watch. So finally at breakfast one day, Dad said, listen, if you say watch one more time, that's one thing you're not getting for Christmas. Well, he did so good for a fourth grader. I mean, come on. Right up until uh, Christmas Eve night, everybody was having dinner, and Dad said, uh, let's bow for the blessing. And the little boy said, Dad, do you mind if I quote a scripture first before we pray? He said, sure, son, kind of proud. He said, Mark 13, 37. And Jesus said to his disciples, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. <laughs> My nanny used to say, what's in the well of your heart is going to show up in the bucket of your speech. So be careful what you put in the well. If you're listening to music that degrades women, those words settle in your heart, and they will. More than likely, you're going to say things to women and about women that you should. If you're watching movies and sitcoms and reality shows and those words that are there on the screen and those values that are there on the screen have a chance to get into your heart, and they will, then the cynical and the belittling and the degrading and the obscene 
is going to come out. If you're taking all of this negative political mudslinging that's going on in Will from here to November, and you're texting things, and you're probably saying things, and you're tweeting things that you probably shouldn't say, text or tweet. What fills our heart is going to fill our mouth. So Paul encourages this. I'd say then, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things worthy of praise, not things to curse. Now, why would he say that? It's like Nanny says, what's in the well of your heart is going to show up in the bucket of it. Simple teaching, not easy to live by. We're going to see next week in the last of the Enough Already series that um, experiencing life to the full is not a chance thing. It's a choice thing. Come next week and see God's word on that. A little preview. God's love for you is unconditional. There's nothing in the world that you can do today that's going to make him love you more or love you less because he is love. He can't be anything but that. So his love for you is unconditional. But you've heard me say it before. His life for you, absolutely conditional. Because you see, he says there's this path that he's asking us, inviting us to walk on, to choose to follow him on. And he says there's life on the end of this path. But if you choose the other path that the culture and the world's choosing, I'm telling you there's death there that you get to choose. But that's next week. Let me end by asking this. Are you really satisfied with where your life is for the moment? Really? Maybe you need to say, enough already. Enough of being tired. Enough of being hurt and worried and confused and angry. I'm sick of being sad. I'm sick of being afraid. I'm sick of being stressed. I'm sick of being addicted. Would you please help me? I want you to know, yes. Yes, we will help. And I don't know if you want to come and share that with me or if you want to find one of our elders or someone here that you feel close to and feel like is walking down that path towards life, but find them and share that with them. Just walk up and say, enough already. They'll know you mean business. And you know what? If you can't share that with us right now or some other person, would you do me a favor, please? Go home today, get out a sheet of paper, and just put it at the top. Enough already. God, and start writing. I don't care whether it's one page or ten pages. Just start writing. What are you, what are you tired of? What are you sick of? What have you had enough of? He wants to get you out of it and through it and over to life. Because his son came. He said that. I came to give you life to the full. Now, there is this enemy out here who steals and kills and destroys, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So I don't know what lies you've been listening to, but that's the truth that wants to set you free. It is. So get you some of it. Because in regards to this sermon, enough already. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your light that shines into our hearts, sometimes when we want it to and sometimes when we don't. And if it's shown today into some darkness, to some deception that we've either been deceiving ourselves or we've been deceiving other people, we're asking you to please not let us be until the truth comes out and the truth begins to work in us and the truth finally sets us free to be everything that you've dreamed for us and about. We want you to hear these songs of praise this morning. We, we, we thank you that you welcome liars to the table. Not to stay liars, but to leave those lies and to walk away forgiven and free. And so as we praise you now, we pray that uh, you change our hearts, mold our hearts, forgive our hearts, whatever needs to take place. And then we just want to say thank you in advance for welcoming us to your table of grace today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.